What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> On Taylorsville, and it was ripping. Some people don't know that. I haven't heard that yet. But you have to tell me about, <clears throat> you know, some of that here in a second. Actually, that goes right hand in hand with one of the things I wanted to talk about. So mm -hmm. let's just go ahead and get it started. Maybe okay. we'll start there. Maybe we'll start somewhere else. But I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan. I hope everybody's having a great derby week, best week of the year. It was great until yesterday when the rain came in. Yeah, no doubt. Because it has put a slight damper on uh, everything I've been wanting to do. Yeah, we yeah. were going to. We will do one outside soon, folks. We were supposed we to do it yesterday, but, you know, I can't say I unfortunately had to go film a turkey hunt for the show, which, you know, I enjoy doing that. But I did, I did want to go fishing with you. And one of these podcasts, here in the next few weeks, there's a lot of really good fishing coming up. Mm -hmm. And if we can't go to Elkhorn... <clears throat> we'll go somewhere. If, well, that's what I was going to say. I have a, a farm pond that has pretty good-sized bass, and they're on the beds right now, so you can sight fish them with creature baits. So that's something I was going to talk about, too. Oh, cool. But... Let's see, where do I want to start, Lee? I went kayaking the other day, had an interesting trip I was going to talk about. I did kill a turkey. I was wanting to talk about that. Maybe get into some late season tactics. Um, you know, because, I mean, it is. Tur turkey hunting is a little bit different right now than it would have been, you know, the first week of the season. Or, mm -hmm. you know, if our season came in a little bit earlier this year than it did, you know, if it would have come in on April 12th or something like that. Because the turkeys are, are acting different. Breeding's about over. So I wanted to get into how I would hunt right now and then how I would fish the, the streams. But first, something I know you're excited about, it's Derby Week. No doubt. No doubt. It feels like we just had one of these like six months ago. I know, it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I know you know much more about the horses, much more about the Derby than I do. So I wanted to hear if you have a best Derby story and if you have a pick. Well, it, it depends on like best derby story betting or best derby story of craziness when I used to go to the infield. <laughs> Were you the guy that, have you ever seen like watch the derby live on TV and you know, John Bowles up there and he's like, all right, let's check in and see what's in John Bowles directing traffic. And he's like, now let's see what's happening in the infield. <laughs> and there'll be like people running across the porta pots like, <laughs> on top of them. I've seen that. I haven't participated. Uh, <laughs> Well, I've got several that probably aren't um, really applicable for our audience. Yeah. But, well, um, one of the first things in my first derby, that and the police horrible. knocked in and they rolled her up in the carpet like a big, carried her out like a big old log. <laughs> 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 that was my first derby. I was like, wow. That's, so, that's funny. Uh, the, the next funniest one was, the year we, we were kind of toward the, the actual the first turn, which most people go toward the third turn. And uh, we were eating, and these guys, all middle-aged, all... <laughs> and I thought the police would be, like, coming to arrest them. They were sitting on the ground holding their stomach laughing. So. Oh, my gosh. And uh, uh, my last derby... Man, that's a, that's not. <laughs> so, and those are the mild ones. <laughs> I'm just right now in my head. I'm, I'm right now in my mind. I'm picturing like a, you know our supervisors listening to this episode. <laughs> well, it's like well, the first three minutes we got a. <laughs> well, it was. I mean, well, but uh, it's. Uh, I. Uh, it was. It was back in the day. I, I think it's still just as wild, but it was. It was pretty crazy. I've never been to infield at the Derby. Well, you haven't missed a whole lot. Unless well, you like, I mean, like it's I'm, debauchery and you know what? nudity and stuff. But. Well, there you go, everybody. <laughs> but <laughs> betting wise, I've had some good derbies. Uh, I've had some really good derbies. I had charismatic across the board. Uh, Who do you like this year? Uh, well, you know, everybody's 
talking, this year is a very wide open year. I think this year is going to be an excellent betting year. There's only one horse that really looks like he's a favorite. Yeah, essential quality is going to be the giant favorite. And deservedly undefeated, has won at Churchill Downs. Brad Cox, the trainer, is one of the hottest trainers on earth right now. He's, he's a Louisville native. And he is. he's went to Iroquois High School, graduate from Iroquois. Mm-hmm. Um, the other horse everybody's talking about is Rocky World, the winner of San Anita Derby, won on the front end. Uh, has good breeding to go the distance. Won his first cup on turf, then got on the dirt and took off. Uh, he's kind of he's kind of everybody's buzz horse right now. Um, the other one people were talking about was known agenda, but he drew the one hole. Yeah. And the one hole is kind of the kiss of death. But they have a new gate now, so there may be a chance it's not as bad as it used to be back when we had the two gates. And the one hole basically had had to run straight into the fence, or just had to wait everybody to go and then could yeah. could get room. I'll tell you, I've only got my eye on three horses. And essential quality, mm-hmm. obviously, the favorite, Brad Cox, the trainer from mm-hmm. Louisville. I like that. I like Midnight Bourbon. Yeah, cause, I do too. Because I like the name, and I like that's a Kentucky horse. Mm-hmm. And then the other and one. And Mike Smith's on him, and he's a damn good jockey. Oh, yeah. My, I listened to an interview with him this morning on the way into work. He's yeah. pretty good. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, is he one of the bigger horses, one of the stronger horses? Mm-hmm. I believe so. And then Hot Rod Charlie is, yeah. is the other one that I like. So I don't, I don't know much. I don't know nearly as much about but horses the, or betting. But that's the, if you box those three in, a, in an exacta box, I think you could you could do worse. Well, the uh, I know Brad Cox. I, I don't know him. I know the name Brad Cox because he's a local guy. I know the name. Mike Smith. So those are just, you know, a jockey and a trainer. And then, of course, you got, um, oh, my God, Baffert and those guys. He only has one horse in it. Yeah, Medina Spirit, he's flying under, and he's never been out of the exacta so, yeah. in any of his races. So I'm going to have to put him in a couple of my bets. Just, But and, but I predict he will be way over bet because it's Bob Baffert. Yeah, so you won't get good odds on that. No, you won't get the odds that you should. So um, I don't want to talk too much betting, too much horse stuff, but I did. it's derby week. I feel mm-hmm. like that's only right. I will tell you, so you told your derby story. I'll tell you my only derby story because I've never actually been to the Kentucky Derby. Yeah, I might have told you this before about when I was a little kid. Yes. And Dwayne Lucas? No. Go. Oh, so my, I had to be like 10 years old or so because my parents split when I was tw- like 11 or 12, and this was before that. And Dwayne Lucas was doing a radio show at Buckhead's on the river, and my parents wanted to go see Dwayne. Mm-hmm. So we go down there, and I don't care a thing about horses or the derby. I couldn't care less. I'm just sitting there going through all this. And I get up and go to the restroom, and I come back out. And instead of going back over and sitting with my parents, I just sat down on a bench by the door. And I was like, you know, that not feeling it. And I sat down on this bench, and this lady sitting next to me started talking to me. And she was asking me, you know, she was an older lady then, so probably, you know, in her 50s or so. And she was asking me, uh, do you like horse racing? Uh, have you ever been to the Derby? And I was just straight up honest with her. I was like, no, I don't care about horse racing. I've never been. Yeah, and I told her pretty much everything openly and honestly. And I spent about 15 minutes talking to her. And then the radio show was over and everybody was standing up. So I was going to walk back over to my parents. And she said, well, get your parents to come over here. I want you to meet my husband. And I went and got my parents and we walked back over there. And her husband was Dwayne Lucas. So then we all sat and t- So it turns out I've been sitting there telling Dwayne Lucas's wife how much I hated horse racing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. So uh, D. Wayne was like, I want you all to come to the Derby this year. I'm going to get you a box. He said it'll be in wheel call. And he he told us how to come get the tickets for the Derby and this box that D. Wayne was giving us. And so I was I remember asking my parents if I could go to the Derby. And they're like, no, you got a swim meet in Nashville that weekend. We can't miss it. You got to go to your swim meet. 
and all these years later, I, I wonder what happened to that box. Like, you know, I got a feeling my dad probably scalped it. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. He scalped that for some good money. Yeah, he probably went there, picked up those tickets, and so, turned, turned that around. Maybe made a bet. I'm not sure. But that's my only derby story because I've never been. And the reason I haven't been is I had a box given to me by D. Wayne Lucas himself <laughs> and didn't get to use it. So The coach is a great trainer. You know, he's 87, still gets on horses every day, still trains. Yep. So he's how old? He's 87, I believe. So when I said she was older, I was thinking she was probably in her... He's a little bit older than her. So she was probably in her 50s. Yeah. She's probably in her. So yeah, that makes sense because that would have been about 22 years He's ago. He's one of the most for, more formidable trainers that's ever been. <clears throat> when I think of trainers, I think Dwayne Lucas, I think Bob Baffert. Yeah. Those are the two yeah. that just immediately come to mind. Pretty pretty good company there. All right, Lee, let's talk some actual outdoor stuff. Okay, cool. Well, Hope everybody wins on the Derby. It's going to be a good <laughs> one this year. Well, I, I will, you know, be watching it. I, now that I live in Louisville, I feel more connected to the Derby. Yeah, well, it's when a I, big deal. When I lived in Madison County, Shelby County was fun, you know. Um, I felt like I was a part of it there. But then when I lived in Madison County and Frankfurt and places like that. But now that I moved back to Louisville, you know, I'm just a few miles from Churchill, and that's what people are talking about on the radio. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you see all the signs and decorations and it's it feels like I'm more a part of it, so I'm actually looking forward to this year's derby more than I have in the past. But let's talk some hunting, fishing, what, conservation, wildlife type stuff. You told me a minute ago that you had no trend down from Devonbrock, mm -hmm. and I went on a paddle trip, my first kayak trip of the year, uh, two days ago. Yeah. So that would have been Wednesday. Mm -hmm. Wednesday. Flow was around 400 CFS. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think it. Might, yeah, somewhere around there, which is you know good. You don't. You don't. I didn't pick pick up my kayak and drag it one single time. No, I love when that happens. And at the same time, it wasn't too fast to fish. Yeah. You know, it was the perfect flow in my book, and I actually got Kristen a new kayak, and uh, surprised her with it that day. All so, right. So Where'd you was, get her? Oh, uh, it's a vibe. It's uh, I picked it up at Dick Sporting Goods, and you know the price points I was looking at. I would have liked to have gone with a native or a Jackson or something mm -hmm. like that, but. I mean, the the price was, was good on the Vibe. And, uh, you know, the main thing I don't like about cheap kayaks is the thin holes. Yeah, I know. And especially the two-piece kayaks, like uh, some of the Pelicans and Lifetimes and things like that, they're, they're made in two pieces and, and then, you know, pressed together. And they just seem like when you knock on them, like it's not a very durable material. I could see it cracking or something like that. So this brand actually did have some, you know, good quality. It felt like good quality plastic. Uh, hers is 90 inches. So it's still pretty short. That's a eight foot six or something like that. But she's that's up from a seven foot kayak that she had been. It's a sit on top. So, but she liked that. We started fishing. It was me and Kristen, my buddy Bobby, and his girlfriend Laura, and we put in at uh, Peaks Mill, and we were going to go to 127. And we started fishing. I'm not going to say we were burning them up, but we were catching fish. I, I, I ended up catching, you know, probably five or six. Kristen caught 12, um, and we only got to fish half the time. And this is why. Um, so Bobby's parents had just gone and bought some kayaks that day too. And they weren't kayaking with us, but they hit the creek right behind us. And about halfway through, they caught up to us. Actually, they caught up to us in the hole above the hatchery. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? That one last long stretch and it's got kind of a slate rock bottom mm -hmm. before you dump into those last couple of riffles before the hatchery. And then is the old house, white house on your left? That hole yeah, or the yeah, one above Yeah, that? right there is where yeah. they caught up to us at. Yeah, that one hole above that is just bedrock city. So we were uh, going down through there, and uh, Bobby's parents, really, we were just going to let him pass us up. We were going to keep fishing, and his parents were just out for a paddle. His dad did have a fishing pole, though. And we got up to the uh, the hatchery, you know, where the cr creek splits and goes around the islands? Well, the flood, I guess, in March or whenever that flood was this year, really changed that area. 
Like, really? That changes a lot. That's changed a lot through the years. You you know that uh, the island out there, if you go out, if you park at the hatchery and you walk out to the mm -hmm. island, you walk all the way up where mm -hmm. that big log jam was. Where, yeah, where, where you caught the... The, the smallmouth small on the yeah. on the nightcrawler and the catfish that day. That, that's where I got the worst poison I've ever had in my life. Well, that place. Don't worry about ever getting poison ivy there again because it's gone. Wow. Yeah, I mean that. You know that tree that that we were yeah. fishing on. That's probably 15 feet off the bank now. It's just sitting out there by itself, and there's no bank left. Wow. Saying so the 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 streams, you know, the the flow is completely changed where it cuts through at. And so, so is that that whole little strip island's gone or just well, that front one? The front part. The front part's completely gone. So, you know, the creek changes year to year yeah. so much. Especially that region, that area right there is changing. Any, anywhere where you get different flows going different directions, it's going to it's gonna change a lot. But when we got to that spot, Bobby was yelling out, because Bobby's a whitewater guy. He knows what he's doing. He's trying to tell his parents, you know, go left here, go left. And his dad went right and got stuck in some stuff. His fishing pole got stuck in a tree and he flipped. Well, that... That tree right there, I've, that's a bad tree on the right, on yeah. the far right shoot. That tree has gotten bigger and bigger, and it, it's a, it's a pole grabber. Well, so Bobby's dad flipped, and then right at the exact same time, his mom had gone left, got caught under a tree, flipped her kayak, oh, hit her head on a rock on the bottom, and lost her paddle. So, um, hmm. luckily, Bobby was fishing out of a two-person canoe by himself. So we just picked his mom up, put her in the canoe, tied her kayak to the back of his canoe. And uh, me and Bobby actually went back up and got her paddle. But at that point, we were, you know, she she actually did go to the Lexington ER to get her head checked out. and make Because she had a knot the size of a golf Lord. ball right on her oh forehead. But uh, so our fishing was over at that point, which was fine. You know, fine with me. It still floated the rest of the way out. And it was interesting, probably more interesting than it would have been if we had just fished. Mm -hmm. But that brings me to the point of uh, what your conversation with Nathan, if it's brown, turn around. It mm -hmm. wasn't brown that day, but it's still unfamiliar water. Mm -hmm. And uh, Gina and Bobby Sr. both had their life jackets on, and Gina made a big post on Facebook, that's her name, Bobby's mom, about uh, <clears throat> how she wore a life jacket and always will and stuff like that. And uh, It, it hurt. I mean, it helped, I'm sure. Well, and that's one of the, I mean, if she hit her head hard enough, she could have been knocked out, mm -hmm. you know. You want your life jacket on if you're unconscious in the water, I'd say. But, um, you know, I thought that was a good little lesson of how the creek can change. And even mm -hmm. if you are pretty dang comfortable with it and pretty mm -hmm. dang comfortable, you know, you never know your first trip out what that creek's going to look like that I year. I guess that, that super flood, when do you think it blew out? Because I was there in September and October and that, that was still there. I think it would have been in February. We February or March, we had a big flood this year. Yeah, we did. Do you remember when the Ohio was... Oh, well, I forgot. Yeah, the Kentucky River flooded. Yeah. So, that flood. Yeah, it would have been whenever that big rain came through. Um, but it... Uh, I mean, it changed the creek drastically in that stretch, but the fishing is good right now. I mean, did it open up that left chute? You know, you can go to the outside by the hatchery to get around. Yeah, the smart choice right now, if you're, if people are familiar with that area, is to hang left and just go left the whole way. So it's blown that. It's made a channel left. You can go to the flat hole and not go to the outside. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that's the way to go. But there were some guys out there fishing, casting in that spot, so that's kind of why we got directed to the right. Yeah. Um, and I, I was way behind because I, I was looking at those little seams and little mm -hmm. drop-offs before that area, and I was fishing those. So I, I was stopped fishing all the time. Well, the hole above that is a fantastic hole. I oh, right I love there. it. Some of those spots, basically, you know, it's, I think the smallmouth in the creek, I'm not, I don't feel extremely comfortable saying what they're doing because I'm sure they're all doing something different, you know. But Did you see any spawning activity yet? It seems like to me that they're kind of staged up. Well, that's, it's. They're, they're in the areas where you'll find them spawning at. Um, you know, flats and things out of the current, some sand to your bottom. Is that gross green moss showing up yet? I haven't seen it. 
But uh, I don't think they're necessarily spawning, but they're basically near those spawning areas just out of the current. I mean, it's it's textbook where you'd expect to find a smallmouth. And it seems like they're pretty willing to bite right now. So I uh, am looking, I haven't even checked USGS to see what this rain has done to the creek. It only went up this 369 this morning, but the, you know, it's delayed. Well, you know, we, we were supposed to start getting rain here in Frankfurt at 10 o'clock yesterday. And we didn't get it until 4.30. Mm -hmm. And in Louisville, when I got home, I talked to my neighbor, and he has a rain gauge. He said they got four inches. Wow. So it must have been pouring. On, I mean, I drove through some of the hardest rain I've ever driven through yesterday on my way home from work. But I'm, I'm thinking the Lexington and Georgetown and Frankfurt might not have gotten hit as hard as, mm -hmm. you know, further west. So that's my two cents on creek fishing right now. Well, I'm working on a piece for the summer issue. I just about got it done on just basic kayaking, and you you and I were talking earlier, and just some of the things to consider. Um, you know, we've had some incidents with COVID because kayaking blew up. Yeah. Um, fishing licenses went up 86,000 last year, so that should tell you. But we've had some incidents where people who didn't know what they were doing put on put on it at bad times. Yes. And, um, um, you know, the, the easiest thing to do is consult the USGS water data, water data page and then click on statewide stream flow table and then click on Kentucky and bookmark it to your, to your favorites yeah. because I check it every day yeah. and you'll get familiar with, with, with how the, the stream you plan to flow, uh, float rather, uh, acts. It's just good to, to look at it. There's a little diamond that's in that gauge and that diamond is basically the midpoint of flows. So you can guess if it's below the diamond, it's going to be low and clear. If it's above the diamond, way above the diamond, it's going to be blown out. Yeah. And one of the things that Nathan told me yesterday, if it's flowing brown, turn around because, you know, if you're unless you're highly experienced, brown water, terrible fishing, terrible floating, you can get hung in a, you know, there's there's stuff lurking underneath, and strainers above the water can grab you. Oh yeah, and, you know, that's the it's dangerous. That's probably the most. I don't want to like scare anybody away mm -hmm. from kayaking. Just, yeah, but just you know, the thing is, the the most dangerous thing, in my opinion, is probably what's above the water. Yeah, it's probably those trees that have fallen over or branches. Never grab gonna... them when you're never never grab them. Lower your head down. If you grab them, your boat will come out from under you. Yeah, and you just have to, you know, I, like one of my notes here was. Um, um, be ready for an accident to happen. That's pretty much, I mean, if you kayak enough, you're eventually going to flip. So mm -hmm. keep, keep your phone in a dry bag and, uh, you know, have that PFD. You know, uh, I'll be 100% honest with you, Lee. I don't always wear my PFD on a, on a creek, but I always mm -hmm. have it on my chair right there. It's yeah. accessible, which is what's Yeah, legal. I have mine accessible, too. It's right behind my chair. But, you, but as Nathan says, you, it's hard as hell to put it on once you flip but, <laughs> and I, you're in the water. But I, I always wear my PFD on the on the river, and mm -hmm. I always wear it on lakes. Yeah. And the main reason on lakes, I don't trust the boats. Yeah. And that water is so deep, I can't necessarily just stand up in it. No you doubt. Know? So um, I would like to say always wear your PFD. I don't want to be a, a hypocrite though, because if somebody did see a picture of me on Elkhorn Creek, I, you might notice that I'm leaning against it on the seat. But, you know, if you're, I would suggest wearing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of- Especially this time of year. In the summer, low conditions, you can probably get away with just putting it uh, behind you or whatever more. Uh, but this time of year, if you flip and you're in water this cold, you could be in trouble. You know, I really want to get one of those NRX PFDs that has- um, They're nice. My Smitty and Larry both have one. Well, I feel like um, some, if I had a PFD that had the pouches on it, mm -hmm. you know, had the, the knife attachment, had a couple of pouches. That's what mine is. It's Stoquist, and I love it. Yeah, I feel like I would wear that all the time just for convenience sake. Mm -hmm. Even, you know. Mine's got a little fold-over pouch. It's got little things. I can also make, like, a little table where I can tie lures and stuff yeah. from my uh, 
from my front pockets. Yeah. The thing I like about the NRS better mine is the back is a little higher and it fits right above a kayak seat. Mine, I kind of have to grab it and pull it to get it to yeah. fit above my seat. I, mean, I think we saw a record number of drownings last year. Probably something to do with COVID and everybody hitting the water. I mean, fishing license sales were through the roof. Mm -hmm. First time fishing license sales were, were through the roof. So a lot of new um, and inexperienced kayakers out there on the water. So that's probably why a lot of the accidents happen that happen. And, and people just like, you know, that they, you know, there was a family and a, that was at Taylorsville and they were letting it rip and they didn't know. Was it went, the tailwaters? Because I, yes. I haven't heard this. Yes. Uh, law enforcement told me about it. And then they, they got in over their head. All the family's fine, but I think they lost their boats mm -hmm. and ended up in trees. Um, you know, again, if it's flowing brown and ripping, go home. Yeah. And another good thing that Nathan talked to me about and, and is... is and you're talking about Nathan Devenbrock who yes. owns Canoe Kentucky. Yes. He said, you know, people get right on this flowing water. I've never even been in a kayak. Go to like the impounded part of North Elkhorn, go to like Beaver Lake, go to some flat water and just learn what it feels like. Yeah. Or do a small section of the Elkhorn where, where it's not very uh, droppy and just learn the basics. Because the first few times I was in my boat, you know, just think of secondary stability, which kayaks are designed to move a little bit. If they don't, they'll flip even more. Mm -hmm. So lean to each side and get used to that's gonna happen but it's okay, and then you don't have a panicky feeling when it lean, when it, your secondary stability yeah. kicks in. Yeah, I would definitely suggest if you go out and buy a kayak to hit flat water first. Yeah, and yeah. demo it if you can. Go somewhere where you can try the kayak. Well, heck, that's what you it. can do at Canoe Kentucky. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're going to buy a kayak from Canoe Kentucky, they literally have a demo of every model. Of every model they And have. you can walk out back. Their store sits on the creek. Yeah. You can just go out back and put it in that hole right there behind the store and, and paddle it around mm -hmm. and, and see how it does, see how you that's like it. That's what I did when I bought my first good one. That's really the way to go. Yeah. yeah. And I would have bought the wrong boat had I not did that. Really? So. Yeah. So I, I I can't wait to get back out and do some kayaking and um, here very, very, very soon. Me too. I've got mine. I've wiped it down. I'm ready to get going. I'm supposed to go Saturday. Um, I'll see what the flow looks like. I don't, I don't know what we're going to end up with, but you know, I've seen a uh, Salt River. Looks like it's been pretty good here of mm -hmm. late. I saw Becky and Chase went down and caught a. Couple I've of got of that bass. written myself. Yeah, he caught a three pounder with big fat eggs in it, a big female. A three pound white bass. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the I world record white bass is? No, but state record's five, and it's a tie. Because I was looking at oh, online a few minutes ago at the record white bass, and it seems like there's some confusion out there around what it is. Five pounds sounds right. Mm -hmm. But I was seeing like 4.5 and 3.5 online for IGFA. I don't know if that's that could be line class, line class or something like that. That makes sense. I've got my book. I'll look at home. I don't know what the all tackle world record is. <clears throat> what else you been doing, Lee? I've been turkey hunting. That's something else I want to talk about. I well, guess... I mean, it's been one of those years where if I plan a trip, you can guarantee it's going to blow up. <laughs> um, I don't. I'm going to have to rub chicken bones on my fishing rods and say a seance and stuff. Uh, um, but I am going to the Ozarks in two weeks for a week of paddling, so I'm looking forward to that on the Buffalo River. Um, um, but my trips so far this year have been a bust, almost. Really? Yes, I've had a bad year so far. Just fishing in general? Yes. Huh. Well, and I've yeah. talked to a lot of people. I think that those weird cold nights we've been having, yeah. the fish will come up, then you get real cold. They, they've, they've, it's been up and down. There was a day the other, last week, I think it was, where it was 72. And then the very next morning, it was like 26. Yeah. Um, that really screws with them. That, that can't be good for the fishing. I'll tell you, though, one reliable fishing opportunity, if you can, if you can get access to it, is a farm pond. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, this time of year, the, farm, the bass are going on beds in the farm pond. And it can be pretty easy pickings for the biggest bass in the pond. 
and you know um, if the water's clear enough which it probably won't be after this rain for a few days but if it's clear enough you can walk around them from a distance especially with polarized sunglasses on you can find those bass you know, just off the bank you know and if you make cast at them from a distance with a creature bait like a lizard mm -hmm. i really like a lizard and just drag it in that nest, you know, they'll pick it up and you can catch them. Lizards and nest fishing are, have a long... You know. Yeah, I love a lizard in the nest. But I will say, you know, there's probably some people out there who turn their nose up at uh, catching bass off a of bed. I would think about releasing them pretty quick and pretty mm -hmm. healthy. Because um, they are guarding either eggs or fry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you were to uh, take that that bass off the bed, then you could potentially be hurting yourself And in then the, the bluegill, yeah, the bluegill go in there yeah. and nail the eggs or the fry. You eating any fish yet this year? Yes, but one someone else caught and gave to me. Okay. My wife's allergic to fish. Oh, so, really? Yeah. So, so she has the opposite of alpha gal. Yeah. So what? So it's just a fish. Is it like well, a shellfish type allergy? I think, but anything smells like it. She's been sent to the hospital. She goes into anaphylactic shock if uh -huh. she gets shellfish in her. So anything that smells like it, she's not going to eat, even if you know. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes Cause, sense. Because she went to her uncle's one time and he made this delicious stew, and she was like, "Boy, this is great!" And then she started feeling horrible. And it had shrimp in it. And uh, she ended up in the emergency room. Ah, well, if <laughs> I was there, I'd probably avoid it too. I was thinking, I've eaten quite a bit of fish this year. But um, you said something about bluegill a second mm -hmm. ago. I think that would be mm -hmm. my, the next one i go after. Uh, I could eat a plate of bluegill. I like to catch them big enough to fillet and just crush the fillets. We actually have a segment coming up on this week's show. It's a uh, They go out and catch bluegill and crappie and then take them back and, and cook them. And uh, Chad cooked the, the fillets on the grill. And just mm. use uh, uh, like a garlic Parmesan butter with a little bit of seasoning. And I've been wanting to try that. So I'm mm. literally going to make it a point to go out to the farm pond with my, you know, bluegill rig and, and try to bring home 15 or so of them and clean them up and cook them on the grill. I've made I, fish tacos where you put a little, you remember Madison Garden in Richmond? Did you ever go get yeah, wings there? there? Yeah. Uh, well, you take their wing rub and rub it on a, with a little bit of a canola oil and rub it on a crappie fillet and pan fry it. Mm -hmm. That makes a fantastic fish taco with fresh cilantro, pico de gallo, and put it on a warm tortilla. Mm. I'll try it. That I'll, was, we've got, I could eat my weight in those things. I like eating cheaply. And, Me uh, too. It doesn't get much cheaper than just going out and catching a bunch of fish. And no doubt. I've already got my license. That's all I need, right? Mm -hmm. If I can avoid losing a bunch of baits, I can get by, you know, pretty dang cheap. Heck yeah. But um, it's a great investment. The other thing is turkey hunting. Because, I mean, it's still turkey season. We've done a lot of turkey hunting for the show. And I'll just be 100% honest, we have had some really bad luck. Uh, we hunted the same two gobblers for three days. And we had them, you know, right there within range almost every single day. But just bad luck, you know. The only luck we were having was bad luck. They'd come in just out of range. A hen would appear in the field, and instead of coming to us, they'd just turn around and run straight to her. Um, we got busted one day at 25 yards. They came in behind us and, and spooked. And I've had that happen. And then we actually got a shot another day, and Chad shot, and the bird just didn't go down, took off on us. And um, he, you know, we had a guy on the show one time, we were fishing with him, and he sprayed the, the spike it, the garlic spray, the chartreuse mm -hmm. on his bait. And he said, uh, you know, that's not really for the fish, that's that's for me. He said that, you know, he thinks confidence is an important thing. I agree. And he he just was more confident in the bait that way, and he didn't know if it helped at all, but he felt better about it. So I mean, I don't do think it. I need to use smelly jelly on a lot of these that already kind of have scent in, but yeah. I do, just because it gives me confidence. Well, so Chad is basically doing that with the shotguns. I don't think that the, I don't think Chad blames the shotgun. I don't think that the shotgun's the issue at all, but he just lost his confidence with that one. So we switched back over to the, to the old faithful that he's killed, you know, 
every bird on the show in history with. So it's kind of it's it's funny those confidence things, you know. Well, it, I, I, you know, might sound like hooey, but I agree with it. Yeah. Oh, I think you got to be confident. And the other day I went on turkey hunt. I've only got to turkey hunt myself about three or four times this year, but I did turkey hunt really, really hard. Um, I can't remember which day it was. I killed a bird that day, so I could just look at my harvest log. On your 870? With your 870? Yeah, the old faithful 870. She's, she does everything. But um, I hunted for, I got out there at six o'clock that morning because I knew I had two birds roosted. So I wanted to get there early enough to set up on them. And I killed my bird at 7.30 p.m. So it was a 13 and a half hour, which I've never done on a turkey hunt. I've always headed in for lunch or something, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, I got out there and I walked where I knew I had these birds roosted. They were gobbling on the limb. I was feeling pretty confident. And they, I heard them pitch down and uh, they were working around like their normal daily routine. Turkeys kind of have a routine, something mm -hmm. they just want to do every day. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there for a little bit and I'm going to eat bugs out of that field. Then when the gets to be heat of the day, I'm going to go in the woods and cool off for a bit. And then once the ground's nice and dry, I'll probably go out there and dust in the dirt bowl for a minute. And mm -hmm. then I'll work my way back over near my roof spot. And, you know, about half an hour before dark, I'll probably fly up there. It's kind of a turkey's like daily routine, you know. Each one of them has something different. But... I knew these turkeys were eventually going to come to me if I was just patient. So I sat there for about two, two and a half hours, just drinking my coffee and waiting and waiting. And eventually I had drank 48 ounces of coffee, Lee, because I, oh, I, I took one of these big cups with me and a thermos. And I was just, and I, I drank 48 ounces of coffee that morning and I'd been sitting there for about two and a half hours without moving. And I call it bubble guts. It's basically when your stomach... Oh. Your stomach's just like searching. It's like, are you telling me there's only coffee in here? And it feels, yeah, well, I, yeah. it feels like your stomach's like moving everything around. Oh God, I've been there two trillion times. I was like, I, I've cut back on coffee as a result. I have this. only increased my coffee intake over the years. Well, that's that, that that happens. Then you reach a crescendo, and then you'll drop off. Well, so I was at the point where I was sitting there, and my stomach was. I can get almost nauseous when that happens, you know. Well, I, I wasn't feeling good, so I was thinking I got to get some food in my stomach mm -hmm. to settle this out. And so I look around, you know, I'm looking around my surroundings. I don't see anything. And I pull my little iced honey bun out of my backpack and <laughs> slowly open it. And I'm looking around and I'm trying to hide the honey bun. So they, <laughs> if something's there, they can't see it. And I'm eating the honey bun and every bite I'm looking around to see. And then I finally get down to that last bite and I pop in my mouth and I hear, pop, pop. and I look over and there's those two tom turkeys over my right shoulder where I can't just oh, lift good. my gun up and shoot 45 yards away in the woods doing their little spook, you know, acting mm. spooked and. The honey bun, I would have been tagged out uh, two and a half hours into that hunt, not 13 and a half hours into the hunt, if I wouldn't have drank all that coffee and had to break out that honey bun. <laughs> but from there... You that know, last bite on the honey bun's the best, though, because that has all oh, the Oh, the center one? Yeah, the center that's one? Yeah. the best bite. So then I uh, I had seen another gobbler. I went and I, you know, snuck around. I didn't want to spook birds because I always had the opportunity to come back and try them again later. If I just leave them be, I can come back to them, you know? So I would work my way around the farm and I, I ended up walking about seven miles, just sneaking through the woods, spot to spot where I thought the turkeys might be. I found a coyote den with coyote pups in it. Now I sat there and watched the three coyote puppies wrestle and, you know, rough house out in the field right in front of me for a little bit before they realized I was there and took off. But that was pretty cool to see. And um, <clears throat> eventually I set up in a spot where I thought that the bird, the, the other bird I'd seen that morning, I saw one strut up in the field for uh, from about 500 yards. He strutted up for about two minutes and went back in the woods. And I was thinking, this is the best location for him to roost if he's still in the area. So I set up right underneath the trees that I would expect him to fly up into. And uh, that was where I was going to spend my last two hours of the day. 
and set up there. And sure enough, within 15 minutes, he comes walking out into the field about 150 yards away, and he walks out to a, a dirt bowl, and he just starts dusting his feathers. And I just gave him a couple calls here and there. You know, every 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, I'd just do a couple yelps and a couple purrs, just make sure he knew that there was still something down there. And finally, after about an hour of him in that dust bowl, I could tell that he was lifting his head up more. He's looking around. Like, it almost felt like he was trying to figure out where he was going to go. Like, where am I going to walk to now? What am I going to do? Because I could tell that he was just getting disinterested in what he was doing up there. And sure enough, he uh, started hiking right down towards me and literally walked a straight line all the way to 40 yards. And, and you know, the rest is history. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I pulled the shot off. He went down, started flopping. I was so excited. Probably more excited on that one than I was other turkeys I've taken because it was such a long hunt. Mm -hmm. And I really think of it like the strategy that day felt more like an elk hunt than it felt like a turkey hunt. Because most turkey hunts, you go out, you put up decoys, you're sitting still bringing the birds to you. Mm -hmm. And on this one, it felt like I went through the whole day with a different strategy every two hours. And I was searching, glassing, looking, trying to locate birds and just thinking about where, where's, where's my best chance of finding a bird in two hours. Because where are they gonna be in two hours? I'll go there and be waiting for them. And just skipping around and covering ground. It's, that's really how you elk hunt most of the time. You get up there and you just, your number one priority is trying to locate elk. And you're going somewhere different to try to locate elk based on the weather conditions, what's going on around you. You know, if it's hot, you're going to find elk in a much different place than if it's, if it's cool or if it's raining or if it's sunny. And, uh, you know, they're somewhere different midday than they are in the morning. So you're skipping around and using different strategies throughout the whole day to try to give yourself the best chance. And that's what this turkey hunt was. And so it was just a different uh, hunting experience for turkeys for me. You know, it was a long day, but it, you know, I was confident the whole time. I never really lost confidence because I just felt like I was, I was making the right decisions the whole time. They just weren't paying off mm -hmm. until the very end. But that, that was my turkey hunt in a nutshell. Well, I am thinking about getting out there for bird number two though. 13 hours, you paid your- dinner. 13 and a half hours, Lee, and I only took one bottle of water with me. And so I was- I, you know, one honey bun, one bottle of water. I've been like eating bark by yeah. around four o'clock. Yeah, I took 50 ounces of coffee, 12 <laughs> ounces of water, one honey bun. And so I used to drink that much coffee. My God, I'd be like, how come I can't sleep? And it's 2 a.m. Well, mm -hmm. you had uh, seven cups of coffee today. <laughs> the uh, I, But the next day after that, I was so sore and dehydrated. And where I guess I just dehydrated myself throughout the day and sitting in those uncomfortable positions and hiking that far. And I mean, it got pretty warm that day, too. It was... Um, it was, I was feeling it the next day, put it that way. And I think dehydration is probably the main reason. Really need to drink more water when I'm out there doing that. Mm -hmm. It's a lesson learned. But I do want to go out and get bird number two, um, or at least give it an effort. I don't really care if I don't kill a second turkey, but I, I want to continue hunting. And so I was thinking about talking about some late, late season strategies right now. I personally, over the past week, I've seen birds act much differently towards decoys than you would just expect them to. You know, a lot of birds that I've seen and people I've talked to have skirted the decoys. The decoys have, you know, they have had no interest in them or it seems like they're avoiding them. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's because of hunting pressure that, yeah. or you know, if- That happens to doves, you know, that they'll love the, uh, they'll love that mojo bird for the first week or so, but then it can make them flare yeah. after, after a while. Well, and not just that, but I mean, by now I'm assuming every turkey's been whooped at least a yeah. couple of times. Maybe they're not looking for another fight. Yeah. And, you know, naturally, most of the hens have probably been bred and are probably sitting on nests more than they're out looking for a, for a Tom or a Jake. 
Um, so it might just be unnatural to have a hen out there doing that much calling and you know the hen decoy, and then they just might not want to get take the chance of getting whooped again by a Jake. So mm -hmm. if I hunt from here out, I'm probably leaving the decoys at home, and that's what I did the day I killed. And I really like running gun style hunting right now. You know, uh, turkeys might be more reluctant to come into your calls. They might, you know, be more reluctant to come into your decoys. So think about going to them, you know, get up there and, and try to figure out where they're at. Think about, can I make a move to get into position on those, on those birds to get a shot? Think about where you think they're going to be going from where they're at. If you do spot some, and then other, other than that, think about where they're going to start and end their days at. Cause that's the easiest way to, to pin where you can probably get on a turkey if they aren't responsive to calls is go out there and, and find out where they're roosting. If you can roost a bird, there's a good chance you can get him the next morning or you can get him the next night because he's probably going to hit that same spot again. You know, So that would be my two cents on turkey hunting right now is mm -hmm. think about leaving the decoys at home and think about being mobile and think about hunting them kind of like deer where you're setting up on the travel patterns and trying to get in front of them. Mm -hmm or trying to, to just be where they're gonna end up at. You know, as the weather gets warm, how does that impact your strategy as, as the days get longer and the weather gets warm as we get into the first week of May? Honestly, pretty much what I just said. I, okay. I, as things heat up, you know, and breeding starts to slow down, I think that leaving the decoys and, and you know, it's not, it's, I don't wanna say it's not as fun or it's more fun because it can be either or. Does the warmer weather slow them down? I, I think it pretty much has to do with length of day. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, a Zach, the photo period does yeah. same with fish. I think that's kind of a Zach Danks question. I'd hate to answer it wrong. But it, I think that length of day is kind of what they base their routine around as far as breeding and everything goes. But, well, that never changes year to year. Weather's a variable, but yeah. photo and, period's the same. You know, it's a lot of fun to sit down with decoys in a call and call the turkeys in and have it work out successfully that way. So I don't want to say that run and gun is more fun because the, honestly that's a that's an extremely fun style of hunting but it's not like the fun hunting's over because if you have a successful hunt where you did what we just talked about which is you know put a stalk on some turkeys or or get out in front of them or, or even just you know go through the process of figuring out where they roost at and then getting yourself in that position i mean it's all success and um it's all fun, it's all good hunting, and everybody likes something different. So I don't wanna say that the fun hunting is past us or that you need to be a run and gun hunter to have fun because it really just depends on you, but mm -hmm. that's what I would do. I would I would try to go to the turkeys more than have them come to me right now. I just don't think that they're gonna be as responsive to decoys and calls. And you know, everybody, somebody might be listening to this and saying, oh, he's, he's full of it. I saw, you know, my decoy got flogged by two toms the other day. Every bird's the, different. Yeah. But uh, I just think that in general, it's fairly safe to say that decoys aren't as effective as they were day one of season at this point. So that's my two cents on the turkeys, Lee. I haven't looked at our turkey numbers yet this year. I think I did see 25,000 so yeah, far. I have, you know, I looked opening weekend. I haven't looked since. We'll have to uh, get with Zach after the Maybe season. Maybe have a so. after, after season roundup with Zach. Yeah, yeah. I'd be, I'd be good with that. You got anything else written down? I'm actually well, starting to get kind of hungry. I oh, I'm starving, and, and we're getting takeout, and we're talking derby at lunch. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've been, I do these things called the Spring Fishing Frenzy. Uh, they're on the website. Yeah. Uh, just go to the fishing page and click on Spring Fishing Frenzy. They're also on Facebook, and I did one this week on creek fishing. And I, this month, month, May is my favorite month, probably. May and September, believe it or not, are my two favorite months. For creek fishing? Yeah. Yeah, and I love it all summer, but I love May, especially mid-May to late May. Why do you like May? Uh, well, spawning's over. 
-hmm. And they they kind of, uh, as the water warms, they're gonna need more metabolic boost. Mm -hmm. So they, I think they're more aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've, I've also caught some of my bigger fish of all time have come in May. Yeah. And also in September, the, a lot of people think top water is warm. September is my favorite month to throw a top water. So if you were going out right now uh, to smallmouth fish, say we had normal flow, mm-hmm. what would you, what would be your first bait? What would you walk into the creek with? Well, I, uh, now normal flow, I, I geared up with a heavier jig and stuff thinking that we were going to probably have 400, 350 to 400 CFS yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, if I only had one bait in May, I would probably throw a black finesse worm mm-hmm. or um, a swim bait like you like to throw. Yeah, I like the swim baits. Or I like to nose hook um, a little three and a half inch to four inch sluggo type soft plastic jerk bait. And nose hooking it with a wide gap finesse hook like you would use for a drop shot. Um, and, and that's all, don't add any weight. And that thing spirals down and you jerk it. And it's so cool because you can watch it and all of a sudden it disappears because yeah. a fish grabbed it. And I have done great in May on that lure. I actually hate to admit this, but Latin. And then the TRD worm. I know you hate that, but it, oh, that's it why, works. That's what I was going to say. I hate to admit this, but that's what I has been my go-to bait the last two times I've gone to the creek. Well, been, I mean, I feel bad because I throw it so much. I'm like, come on, you got to, I'm tired of this, but it works. I don't know why it works, but. Yeah, it does. It, 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 it works, but I, um, I really like a, a swim bait, like you said. Mm-hmm or a crawfish imitator. Yeah. I mean, basically small bait fish and crawfish are what most smallmouth. And I love a little beaver style bait too, the, the smally beaver. Yeah. I love those because that's a crawfish. Well, Kitek makes some really cool little creature baits. I've uh, got those too, the little spider, I think they're well, called. Well, Cabin Creek makes spider parts. Yeah, um, but and it, I love I love the salty spider. Yeah, the salty spider, spider part, all those. Uh, so basically I like those little creature baits that look like a crawfish mm-hmm. or I like a, a small swim bait. And I Texas rig everything. I literally use a bullet weight and a small, like a one-odd Texas rig worm hook. Mm-hmm. And everything I throw in the creek is Texas rig because, I mean, there's weeds and, you know, I'm dragging bottom and getting caught on rocks. So that just, I mean, I can, with a Texas rig, one of either one of those, I can pretty much go through the whole day without getting snagged that, to the point I have to retie. Um, I throw a very similar thing. I just throw it with a spider slider or now there's a bunch of them, the bullets heads, owner makes one. Where it's like a Texas rig, but it's all connected. And then I have those two. Um, I just I don't like throw hook exposed like you, but I will. But I usually end up regretting it because man, it's just you spend half the day unhooking. You know. Yeah, those are uh, the, the pre-weighted worm hooks that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I really really like. And you know, I said Texas rig, and that I use a bullet weight. But they're very similar. It's very similar. I do use both. But the one you're talking about, where it has the uh, the basically a bullet weight pre-molded onto the head of the hook. Yeah, I love that. And then a lot of them actually have a little weight on the shank of the hook yeah. also. So and the, the, the TRD new one, FNS bullets has that little weight on the shank. Yeah, and it, I, I like the weight on the shank because it'll actually hold your bait from slipping down too. That's why it's there. And it guarantees that your bait's always going to ride, you know in the water a certain way, mm-hmm. you know, vertically, that weight's always gonna be the bottom side of your bait. So if you put your swim bait on correctly, then you know it's always swimming true through the water. Yeah. So th- those are those are nice too. Yeah, and, and that's, I'm a stickler about it, may not make any difference, but I love straight and pretty and true. 
not sloppy and you've got a big bag in your worm or yeah. it's got a, you know, looks like a sea. Yeah. I have a friend of mine, he doesn't care. I'll look at his and it's ugly and he'll catch fish, but yeah. it drives me crazy. I like straight, pretty and realistic yeah. looking. Just something that comes through the water nice. No doubt. Yeah, I'm always fixing those baits. But what do you say we call it, Lee? Um, look to go out and catch some fish during our next podcast. Yes. We'll either hit Elkhorn, Salt River, or Farm Pond. Okay. All three opportunities that can be duplicated across the state. You know, we got, there's creeks everywhere just that aren't just like Elkhorn, but that fish the same way as Elkhorn. Mm-hmm. There's rivers everywhere, like Salt River. And uh, there's farm ponds literally everywhere. And we have a list under the recreational fishing page called Streams Small or Smallmouth Streams. Click on that. It has a list of every stream we know of that contains smallmouths, which parts are floatable, uh, uh, whether it's floatable or weightable, uh, all over the state. Check it out. A lot of people don't realize we have that. It's a fantastic resource. So real quick in recap, I think that I'm leading Midnight Bourbon on my derby horse. Lee, if you had to pick one right this second. Oh, it, well, it depends. Rock Your World, I'm pretty fond of, but I also love King Fury and a few of the long shots, but Essential Quality is the one that's smacking me in the head. He's never lost. Um, And, you know, he he looked really good in winning the bluegrass. He had to dig in, and he he looked great. He's been training. eh, Some people say he's not training that good. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that, but uh, Essential Quality, uh, Long Shot Bomb is King Fury, and it's hard to get past Rock Your World. And Hot Rod Charlie, too. He's going to be tough. I'll have him. I'll have all those in my bets. Well, I was going to make you pick one. So we're just going to go with well, Essential Quality as yes, least pick. Yes, I mean, <laughs> I, I hate picking the favorites. It just goes against my nature. But this year, he could be a deserving. And people are get, they're, they're getting off of him. They're like, eh, I don't Because he hasn't worked spectacular. He's just worked honestly. But some horses don't work that well in the morning. So, he's never lost. So until he loses, I'm betting with him. So in recap, uh, Essential Quality and Midnight bourbon yeah i will have that bet for sure and And hot large charlie and rocky world if you're uh new to kayaking uh maybe give it a try on flat water go demo a boat at canoe kentucky or somewhere similar that Mm -hmm. lets you demo it before you buy it and just get out there and get comfortable with it always have your life jacket on or accessible which Mm -hmm. is the law got to have a life jacket on a kayak and uh let's see if you're turkey hunting late season you know don't be afraid to leave the decoys in the car and and make a move on the turkeys. I mean, you're coming down to crunch time anyway, so you might as well be aggressive. No doubt. And uh, that's that's pretty much what I wanted to run through today, Lee. Just Good some deal. creek fishing, just some turkey hunting, and then of course, you know, I, we aren't a uh, a derby or a, or a horse themed podcast at all. But we can't be in Kentucky without just making oh, mention, Lord. right? But so. yeah, especially if you're anywhere within 150 miles of Louisville, it's just. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Bardstown. Derby was a big deal. Now, if uh, if our supervisors do have a problem with the first five minutes, who do you think gets in trouble, me or you? Uh, both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Probably me. Yeah. I don't know. I well, don't you know. asked me for, I mean, it's, you know, Derby's interesting, that's for sure. Yeah, that, that is for sure. <laughs> I, I appreciate it, Lee. Okay, man.